Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Um... A weird Tuesday episode for us here on the Ballhawks podcast. It was it was Halloween weekend. We have kids. We have lives. We decided to do other things, but we are here. Uh, you might have just seen us on our That Helps No One Fantasy cast. Uh, we are doing our second show of the night just for you guys. Um, you obviously know me, and I'm joined by Mr. Christmas himself. Some call him the ho-ho-ho festivity man himself. Christopher G. Phillips, how are you doing? Good, man. Mariah Carey's defrosted. Uh, it's November first. Halloween's behind us. I'm, I'm ready for Christmas season. <laughs> I saw you posted on Twitter. Um, our our good friend Kate was put something like she wore some Christmas stuff to work, and her coworkers were least or not quite impressed with her attire. And you said, "Not all heroes wear capes." I Facts. I don't know. Like we we like to agree on some things. This is not one of those things. Like I I I know people that are like, "Hey, it's 100 days till Christmas." And I just feel like those are the worst types of people ever. Um I I guess it's okay now. Like that's the next big kind of shenanigans get together, I guess. Well, I guess for Canadians it is, yeah. Thanks American our, our friends to the south have uh, Thanksgiving coming up. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people that are like, no Christmas before Remembrance Day, but I am not one of those people. <laughs> no disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly you are not. No. Um, and I've, I've had my Christmas lights up all year. So. Oh, you're one of the ones that never takes them down. No, I usually do. I just, I was too busy this spring between like, hurting my hip and then playing lacrosse and everything else. I was just too busy to take him down. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we, we have never put lights up at our house here. Fun fact for you, because I don't know if you remember well, when we moved, but we moved, moved on the, in on like yeah. Christmas day last year. Yeah. It was like the 21st <laughs> or something like that. And we're like, okay, we got to make sure we get a tree up so Santa can come to our house. Like kids were really like that had to be one thing. And I was like, well, okay, well, we're not doing anything else, like no lights, no nothing, because we need to unpack and get our lives. Like, we need beds to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dad. Christmas lights and a Christmas tree are way more important than beds. Yeah, so much more important. Um, um, before yeah. we get going here, I just want to say uh, kudos to your wife, Alyssa. Um, she absolutely nailed it once again with the Halloween costumes. Um for anyone that that uh, hasn't seen, I think Steve posted it on Twitter. But if not, go check out Steve's Twitter at ssfisher87. Uh, I mean, Saturday night they were dressed up as the Incredibles. Um, Steve was Mister Incredible. His wife was, of course, Elastigirl, and the kids were Dash, uh, Dash, and Violet, uh, respectively. 
uh, which was impressive. I, I, I quite enjoyed that one. Um, I, I appreciated Steve, how you really had to pump up your muscles, probably extra big on that Mr. Oh, Incredibles costume. Tons of padding uh, in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the one that like that just blew me away. And uh, I mean, you, you saw my comment on, on Facebook when you shared it on Facebook that this one's going to be hard for her to talk next year. Um, Steve's wife uh, did make up to make Steve look like Jack Skellington from uh, nightmare before Christmas. And again, they did the whole family thing. So his wife was, uh, was Sally and uh, his son was Oogie Boogie. And, uh, and your daughter was, was the ghost dog. Zero. I do not know. Zero. Yeah. Yep. Okay. There we go. Was zero. Um, So yeah, she, she nailed it this year. So uh, again, kudos to, to Alyssa for, uh, being incredibly talented yeah i uh i was saying this on our show earlier she's already planning next year's halloween costume it's it's been a tradition for a few years now that the kids are getting a little older uh november 1st comes and they're like okay what are we gonna be next year and i'm like oh my goodness like my face still hurts from ripping off the bald cap um let's just tone (laughs) it down a little on the halloween but she she always does such a great job um Easton was really the one who stole the show though. Like, I mean, you got a four year old dressed up in a burlap sack. And of course, like some people don't recognize costumes or, you know, they kind of make small talk with kids and, you know, classic. They, they ask Sienna and she's not telling I'm just a a ghost dog. (laughs) Like she's not even saying like where it's from. And Easton's like, I mean, half the time he's walking into people's houses still. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't run into their house. And they're like, what are you, Mr. Potato Sack guy? And he just like stares at him with this disgusted look. He's like, I'm Oogie Boogie. <laughs> and they're, they're, of course, like, they clearly don't know who that is. And they're like, yeah, here's some candy. Get out of my house now, kid. Like, <laughs> I love the kids that walk into people's houses. I just think that is so funny when kids do that. Yeah. Olivia used to do that for years. Yeah. And I'm I'm not the uh, I'm not the candy giver outer I'm the the, the trick or treater, um, but Nadine was saying we had a whole bunch of kids do that at our house last night just walk right in and of course when my kids um, we, we the way our neighborhoods kind of like worked out we did like half the neighborhood and then we stopped at the house because I had to go to the bathroom um, and I was like oh kids can just trick or treat our house. But of course my kids just walk in. So now all these other kids are coming up behind them are just starting to like walk in and like rush the door. And I'm like, Oh God, like move. I have to pee. (laughs) This is my house. I pay the mortgage. (laughs) You little pumpkin. Get out of here. You freeloaders. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, And I saw your kids. I think Olivia went as Maleficent and Carter. I didn't know who the character was. Peter. Peter Bankman. I don't know who that is. Because you've me never here. seen a movie in your life. He's a, he was a Ghostbuster. Oh right. Yeah. I was trying to remember what where I actually I saw I watched a part of I haven't watched Ghostbusters in probably like twenty years. I don't know why. Um, it was on the TV when I just turned it on. So whatever channel it was on, it was on there. Um, I, I don't it's know the show eight. well enough to know who the characters are, but great, great it was show. On eight. It was on AMC tonight. I was also watching that earlier. Nice. My, my wife actually, like, I, I think secretly hates that movie, but, like, not actually. But I'm yeah. pretty sure it's the movie that's on cable TV the most out of any other movie in existence. Either that or Back to the Future. Those two movies are on 
all the time. And anytime I, I see them, I don't care what part of the movie it's on. I'm turning it on. Yeah. I watch it. Gotta watch it. It's just on. And you're like, okay, we're doing this now. Yeah. Ghostbusters back to the future. Pitch. Perfect. Don't care if it's on TV. I'm watching it. (laughs) That's great. Um, so we are going to be doing kind of like an expedited show here. Hopefully, um, as you guys heard, we've already done a show a little tired, so we are going to kind of expedite the show. But, uh, before we get into our teams, Chris, I think it would be really weird if we didn't talk about the trade deadline. Um, one of the, I think the busiest trade deadline ever on deadline day, um, I, think I saw something about that. Yeah, was it ten trades? I I'm still literally catching up. Super busy day for me. Um, I, I think saw they the big include ones. like everything that kind of happens like the week leading up to trade deadline is like trade deadline deals. Okay, um, I'm not really sure because like I, I saw a graphic today and it was like like the the McCaffrey trade was was on on that. Graphic, oh, I but, see. Yeah. So I I mean I saw seven of them. I'm I might be missing one. Uh, I thought it would be kind of interesting just to get your opinion. I'll, I'll tell you what mine was of what you think was just from today. What do you think the biggest impact trade was? We have, um, I couldn't remember if this one's today or, or yesterday or whatever. William Jackson cornerback goes to the Steelers. We have Jeff Wilson jr. Running back going to the dolphins, uh, Naheem Hines going to the bills TJ Hawkinson staying in the division and going to green, uh, sorry, uh, to the Minnesota Vikings chase Claypool going to the bears. I heard that the Packers also offered basically exactly what the bears did, but, uh, the Steelers anticipated the bears to have a better draft pick. Uh, Bradley Chubb went to the dolphins. And then one of the weirder ones, Calvin Ridley going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cause we know, he is suspended for at least this year for, and yes, you guessed it, gambling on the Falcons to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. You literally can't make this kind of stuff up. Um, what 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 do you think? What what's your biggest trade of the day, or maybe the most impactful one? It's got to be Bradley Chubb to Miami. I, I would think. Um, I mean, that, that team's got a ton of firepower on offense, um, being able to, uh, kind of, you know, bolster that defense and get a premier pass rusher to go along with, uh, with their safeties who are playing phenomenal. Um, their DBs are playing pretty well. Um, so getting, getting the guy that can just get, you know, pressure on the quarterback, you know, that half second sooner, that full second sooner, whatever it may be, is just going to help that um defensive back end that that much more and it's going to take that much more pressure off the linebackers and 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 everything else so um i mean that that division after the bills is is pretty wide open uh so there's no reason why whoever finishes second in that division and and possibly even uh the second and third place teams could end up in wildcard positions so i think bradley chubb to, to miami is probably the most impactful yeah, that's that's a great pick. I think he went for the most draft capital as well out of all of yeah. the trades. Man, what like what masterwork by the Dolphins though to, right? to take like they they turn Laramie Tunsil into <laughs> all these like just like they, then they took the Laramie Tunsil, turned that around, 
um, made made the trade with, with the 49ers, got three first-round picks from the 49ers, and they took those three picks from the 49ers, turned it into Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and Bradley Chubb. That, that's that's masterclass of management. Yeah, like uh, the funny thing about trades is when you're trading for a draft pick, you're always trading for the ability <clears throat> to get the draft pick right or at least use that draft capital to trade then again to get it right. Right. Like draft capital is great, but if you squander those picks or you don't draft well, or you make a bad trade yourself, you're kind of giving a player up. So I, I agree. Like they turned that into a slew of premier talent. Um, I, part of me wants to go Hawkinson to the Vikings. Cause I feel like that's just kind of what that offense is missing. Um, you know, you got Justin Jefferson, you got Dalvin cook, you got Adam Thielen, they just needed that kind of like star kind of tight end. We know what Hawkinson can do. I think long-term, and you were talking about this in our chat, Calvin Ridley to the Jags is exactly what that team needs. You have Calvin Ridley. They obviously just put a whole bunch of money into uh, Christian Kirk. Um, they brought Evan Ingram over as a tight end. They've got Travis Etienne. Uh, all of those weapons for Flowmaster himself to throw the ball to. And um, you're looking like you have kind of like a powerhouse offense, like really kind of sneaky. They they managed to add just the right pieces, the right time. And uh, I, I would not be surprised to see the Jags as like a top 10 offense potentially next year if kind of everything clicks together. I think Calvin Ridley is that big of a game changer um, especially Trevor Lawrence throwing them the ball. Yeah, shore up that offensive line. I, I don't know what what condition the offensive line is in, but you know, make make sure that you have your all your ducks in a row as far as the offensive line goes. Um, and and yeah, that that offense I think could be could be very very scary next year. Right. It it kind of like uh, same thing. I, I guess I should have looked into it maybe a little more, but um, it you you have your 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 weapons i guess for lack of a better term with you know premier wideouts a, a tight end that's really serviceable a, a star in the making and a running back and obviously like a star quarterback um yeah it, it allows you to kind of go all in on the offensive line it looks here like they have cam robinson still tyler shatley uh luke fortner brandon scherf and Jawan taylor so they could use a little bit of filler pieces here and there, but again, draft, maybe free agency, and you got yourself, you know, quite a powerhouse of, of a team there. Um, it, it, this is getting a little harder to choose who uh, who should go first in, in our team rundown here because we're kind of mirroring each other, hey? You win, I win. I win, you win. Yeah. Um, what, what both, both our both our teams. I, I think I've gone first uh, in back to back weeks, but yeah, both both our teams are still sitting sitting pretty first in our division with matching five and three records. Yeah, I just I would not have thought that to start this year. I don't think you would have start uh, thought that to start this year. Season of low expectations, baby. <laughs> Lower your standards. <laughs> yeah, we won't finish that one, but. We know where we're going with that. <laughs> um, why don't I go first then? Because my pick for the actual trade would have been Roquan Smith getting traded from the Chicago Bears to the Baltimore Ravens. I obviously is he a wide receiver. 
<laughs> there was there was a lot of talk about that, right? Like, oh wow, you definitely like. There was a lot of fun memes, like, oh Lamar Man. when he uh, finds out there's Mar- another piece to the defense. Yeah, Marquise was pissed when he saw that Ridley trade. Pissed. Oh, I didn't. I didn't see it. Yeah, he was. Darn. He was not happy when he saw that Ridley trade, and he's. I think it was. I mean, I, I say pissed. I, I mean, that's probably maybe strong, but it was like come on Ravens like something along those lines like just unhappy that uh which I mean I get it to be to be fair to be fair um to be fair uh really doesn't help you guys this year and you still got to worry about getting Lamar under contract so like does it really make sense to make that trade for a guy who's going to be there next year but next year is is a big question mark right now right yeah I mean it I'm a big believer in deals that can help you out long-term are still good deals to do. It wouldn't be like a splash for this year, but then again, like if you're asking me if I want a, you know, premier wide receiver added to the team, of course I do. But um, anyways, they, they go out and they trade a second and a fifth round pick. They also threw in linebacker AJ Klein, who has not been good for them at all uh, for, a really high-end linebacker in Roquan Smith. Uh, the part I love about this deal even more, and I was kind of like wondering, like, why did they pay a second and a fifth? Like, Roquan Smith is leading the league in tackles, but he's kind of having, like, maybe a more down year compared to previous years that he's had. So it, it came out later that the Bears are... Uh, sorry, Roquan Smith was owed... million for the rest of the season. And the Ravens are paying him 575,000 of that deal. And so it's not a massive cap hit, which is always nice because you never know what's going to happen with injuries. Um, But kind of like an underrated thing with that is if he's a free agent and you can't figure out a long-term deal with him, and he goes to free agency, and he gets paid because he's going to be a 25- or 26-year-old linebacker uh, with high pedigree, you can also get a compensatory pick back. So even if he turns out to just be a rental player, maybe you get a third-round pick back, and that offsets the loss of what you paid to get him, but you're shoring up a spot... um, on the defense that is going to allow Patrick Queen to kind of do what he does best and 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 shoot those gaps, uh, look on on blitzes to put pressure on the quarterback. Um, Roquan Smith is really good in coverage too, so uh, it it doesn't hurt having like a complete inside linebacker. Um, it was, it was say, is that is that kind of the the plan going forward then is to have. Patrick Queen kind of focusing on rushing the passer more and leaving Smith as that off ball linebacker. My, my gut instinct is yes. Cause if, if there's kind of been one knock kind of on queen, it's that he in coverage, he he's kind of not that he's playing slow, but he kind of just plays almost like he, like he's not sure a lot of the time. Um, Oddly enough, in the last few weeks since he's been kind of criticized online, um, he's kind of come out with his hair on fire and he's looked phenomenal. But, I mean, if, if you have a person playing right next to him that looks just as good, um, and then you have Odafe Owe on the other side as an outside linebacker, they just activated David Ajabo and Tyus Bowser 
back from their injuries. So there's a chance they could play also on that other outside linebacker or maybe in like a bit of a rotation. Um, that front seven is looking mega scary now, and I love it because their, their kind of strength going into the season was the fact that they spent a first-round pick on uh, Kyle Hamilton. They went out and got prized free agent safety Marcus Williams. They were getting Marcus Peters back, pairing with Marlon Humphrey. Um, the The back end, the DBs, were supposed to be the power of this team, and now it's kind of shifting to the front seven, and Ravens fans are kind of getting a, um, I guess, defense of the old to say that, um, you know, that can hold them in games and and can stop powerhouse teams from putting up tons of points on them. So I love the move. I I haven't really been on Twitter a whole lot to see what, you know, the flock thought about it. But to be honest, I just don't care. <laughs> I like the move and and I'm happy with that. So um, I'm also happy that I got to watch Thursday Night Football last week. Um, the Ravens caused Tom Brady and Giselle to basically make their divorce official. They, they put him into divorce, I believe. And I I know, I know you saw my tweet there. Like a lot of people are having fun and there's going to be punchlines. Of course, there's going to be punchlines. Um, you got to feel for Brady. Um, he's, he's in uncharted territory now in his career for losses in a row. And he's, you know, have, hasn't had like a, a losing record since like, I don't know. I was in high school pretty much. <laughs> it's, it's weird to think like that. Um, the, the game didn't, the, the game wasn't all wonder, wonderful, happy go lucky. Uh, they started off horribly. I was so frustrated with this game in the first quarter. Um, I just kept yelling, execute, finish. Everything <laughs> about this team on offense uh, was just slow drive. They, you know, you know, a couple like bobbled catches to Andrews. It was kind of nice that he was playing. Turns out he like kind of re-injured it. Then they get down to the red zone and it's as if, uh, Greg Roman has never called a red zone play in his life. Like they're just so poorly designed. Like defenses are, are basically figuring it out before they snap the ball. Um, it, it was not the greatest intro. This also happened with Tampa turning the ball over on a special teams. Um, I think it was, it was the very first punt. They punted it. Um, Justice Hill basically pushes his guy right into the guy trying to catch the ball and they get the ball in the red zone to start have to settle for three points. Um, super, super frustrating was not a big fan. Uh, the Ravens had a total of 15 yards in the first quarter. So it, it, it was not a, a pleasant start to it. Um, the defense though, man, were they fun to watch? So like that, it's just why I'm so excited with these de- defensive additions. Um, we know Tampa has been struggling offensively, but they have so many weapons that I feel like at any time this team could turn their season around, you know, get Mike Evans really involved. Leonard Fournette could go play off Lenny mode. Um, they just have too many weapons. So it, it was nice to see the Ravens, you know, again, Cincinnati, now Tampa, they're playing kind of these powerhouse offenses and they are not getting bullied around like the Ravens of last year, which is kind of nice to see. 
Um, I don't know if you saw this one, Chris. Tyler Linderbaum, the Ravens' other first-round pick, rookie center out of Iowa, absolutely put Devin White into his grave. Did you see this one? I saw it floating around. I I never actually watched the clip, though. Oh, it is. I'm I'm a bad (laughs) co-host. I'm a bad (laughs) co-host. So... And he he basically gets out into the second level. And so Devin White, he's a, a Pro Bowl middle linebacker. He should be able to hold his own. And Tyler Linderbaum, like, grabs him right inside the numbers and starts just churning those legs. And you can see the moment he gets a hold of him, Devin Smith is like, or, um, uh, oh my gosh, why am I... Trying to blank. Devin. Um, Devin White. Devin White. Holy. This is why you don't do two podcasts in one day, kids. Um, <laughs> he, he has this look of panic like, uh-oh, I'm, I'm going to eat it. And so Lamar is kind of running behind him and Linderbaum is running him back so hard. And then uh, Lamar gets in front of them and basically trips another defender. And the defender trips Devin White. And Linderbaum comes down on him and he drives his ass into the ground. It is so funny. Like he, he snatched his soul on that play and it was one of the best clips I've ever seen. Um, love the way that kid is playing. Um, yeah, it just, the first half I was not overly impressed with. I think it just, there's a lot of things they need to fix. And, uh, Good thing they only have one more game before they're by because this team really needs to figure it out offensively during those bye weeks. I saw a fun little stat because they played the Thursday game. Uh, I think, what is it, like 11 days until they play the Monday nighter, obviously, against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, but with their bye in there and it being on a Sunday coming back, they will have only played one game in 29 days. So... We know that injury woes continue. Um, looks like Rashad Bateman is going to miss a little bit of time, probably not playing uh, against New Orleans. Mark Andrews, it's looking like it's kind of like an iffy thing. Um, Gus Edwards went down with a, uh, a hamstring, which was nice. It looked really sketchy. I was concerned it was that knee again. Um, and visions of J.K. Dobbins coming back too early. Turns out to only be a hammy, so... Um, they can really use this rest time. And in that rest time, they also need to figure out, you know, red zone offense. How are they going to be creative in play calling? Um, now that they have not really added that next level wide receiver, um, how are they going to use Devin Duvernay? How are they going to continue to use Demarcus Robinson? Um, what role will Isaiah likely have going forward? He kind of stepped in for Andrews and, and looked phenomenal. It was it was fantastic to see. Um, yeah, the, this team has a lot of question marks, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And um, I'm just really curious to see who's going to be the one to rise to the occasion. And you know what is the what is the play call going to look like going forward, especially in that red zone? Because we we've heard it so many times. It's so cliche in the NFL that if you can hold other teams to just settling for a field goal instead of scoring touchdowns on you, you get a really good chance of winning football games. So the Ravens cannot fall uh, victim 
to that. The old bend, don't break defense. Yeah, for, I don't know, the last 10 years at least that I can think of, um, the Ravens have been that bend, don't break. Like, we give up a ton of yards, but we don't give up a lot of points. And who really cares about yards at the end of it? If you score more team points than the other team, you win the game. It's not that freaking hard. So, um, yeah, they're, they're definitely going to have to figure that out. It looked like they kind of figured it out in the second half. Um, I don't want to go too far into it because I know we're going to try and do just like really, really quick show here. Um, but the thing that I really liked in the second half, and I'm really curious to see how they come out early on against New Orleans, are these sustained drives that they had in the second half. Um, they had nine plays, 77 yards. Uh, that touchdown went to Kenyon Drake. Uh, they then had like a nine play 93 yards for five minutes, 26 seconds to a Duvernay touchdown. Um, the time of possession and sustaining drives in the second half is definitely going to be something I'm watching going forward to in the new Orleans saints game. Uh, Christopher, I know how the Seahawks did. I, I actually watched another half. I'm the good, I'm the good co-host over here. Like you are. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. Um, hey, to be to be fair, to be fair my again. De- in in my defense, <laughs> um, I, I oh no, I, I you know what? I think I did actually. I, I was going to say I, I worked out on Sunday, so I wasn't watching any football in the morning. But I did actually watch the Ravens game against the Buccaneers. But like, you know how it is on a Thursday night. It's like you're eating dinner, you're trying to put the kids to bed. Like it's just like it's on, but you're not really watching. Yeah. Unless it's your team, like I'm sure you were paying attention. Like if the Seahawks when the Seahawks play on a Thursday night, I'm like, "Good night, <laughs> see you later, <laughs> see you guys." Um, yeah, no the uh, the the Seahawks and the going into the game, surprisingly six and one New York Giants. Yeah. Um, it was it, uh, I saw a, a funny thing leading into the game. There was one game uh, in all of week eight between two teams where they both had winning records. And it was the Seahawks and Giants game, which uh, really? eight weeks, eight weeks ago, who saw that coming? <laughs> not <laughs> so, me. yeah, yeah, not anybody. I mean, no. I'm sure I'm sure everybody was expecting both both teams to have losing records and that that game wouldn't have uh, you know such important uh, implications uh that it did i mean it yeah. you know that, that that could end up being a very important game uh later down down the line for for potential seeding and, and things like that so um leading into this i know i said it's a season of expectations it's kind of funny i was at, I was at work today and one of the guys at work he's uh, he's just starting to get into uh into american football he's uh he came over from india a few years ago uh, and so he's just like, he went to his first Seahawks game. He went to the Falcons game a few weeks ago and Sweet. he's starting to follow it more and more. And, and so we were talking about it at work. He's a, he goes, so Chris, you think the Seahawks are going to make the Super Bowl? <laughs> and I was whoa, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> first of all, it is way too early to talk about that. We're only like, we're only halfway through the season. I was like, Playoffs. right now I was like, yeah, that, 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 I, was, I was like, right now, I was like, I, you know, if they make the playoffs, like, I was like, they're not even a lock to make the playoffs right now. Like, there's still that much football left that, like, a yeah. lot can happen between now now and, and the end of the season that, uh, that you know, 
I'm, I'm not saying Super Bowl. I'm not saying playoffs. I'm not saying anything. And then I was trying to explain to him. I was like, I was like, I was like this is the season of low expectations for me. I was like, I'm not really expecting anything, anything from this team. He goes, well, why not? I'm like, because I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> I was like, you can't get hurt a, if you're not expecting them to win. Right. It's a self-defense mechanism. Um, <laughs> but like, at what point, like I was, I was saying to him today, I was, like, I was like, I'm trying to figure it out though, that like, at what point do I let them back in and I open my heart up and say, this is, this is it. We're doing it. We're going to playoffs. Like, let's go. And then like, and then I just get hurt again. Um, that would so, be, I don't know. That'll be interesting. I, I'm, I, I mean, I'm always rooting for you because we're not, you know, division rivals. We're not conference rivals. So, of course, I want the Seahawks to do well because, you know, they're my buddy's team. I'll be curious if they are, like, continuing on this path. Like, what week in our episodes will you be like, guys, I am in. I am ready to get hurt. Like, you know, both of us watch The Bachelor. I'm sure you're watching Bachelor in Paradise. Like, at what point are you all in, ready to tell the Seahawks you are in love with them? Not just, like, um, you're, like, falling in re- love with re- them. Ready to accept the rose. Yeah. I just, and, and that's the thing, is, like, I'm trying to figure it out. And they've got a pretty tough back half of their schedule. I think about Arizona this week, which I know they already beat Arizona once. Um, but those Arizona games are always, they're always weird. I know I said that two weeks ago when they played Arizona, that, they're, those games are always weird and they're hard to predict. Um, next week they go to Germany to play Tampa Bay, which I mean, again, Tampa's underperforming. But when you're going up against Tom Brady, you can't count him out. Um, and then they have the Rams twice. Still, they have to play the 49ers again, and they have to play the Chiefs. So they've got a tough, wow. tough back half of the schedule. Yeah, that's lots gonna... that's a. Uh... Ooh, yeah. Like, right? what, what do you? Th- uh, I mean, I don't want to say what I think the record is, but like, you're looking at those teams. Like, what? What are the expectations? Like, what? What do you see out of out of those games that you mentioned? Yeah, I mean the 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 one plus side, I guess, is you know, the Niners game is at least in Seattle. Like, hopefully that that you know that helps. They we we saw the 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 crowd definitely disrupt the. Giants offense this week, so hopefully they can do a, you know, keep that going. Um, the Rams seem to be, uh, you know, Sean McFay is, I think, Pete Carroll's kryptonite. Um, so, so I, I, I don't have much hope for those games. And the Chiefs, I mean, the Chiefs, you never know. Um, it, it, I don't know. For, I think for some I mean, reason, I think they're I'm not, tough on that one. What's that? Sorry, I think they're in tough on that one. Like. Like you said, I, I feel like a team like the Seahawks right now, you know, the, the silver lining is when teams come to Seattle, like if you've ever been to a Seahawks game, it's no surprise that they are loud. But also Kansas City at Arrowhead is loud as well. So like, yeah, could that be like the deciding factor in a lot of these games with the Seahawks, like whether they're at home or on the road? Maybe not with yeah. the Rams, because apparently that's like, every other team gets an extra home game when they play the Rams, basically. <laughs> or the Chargers. Or the Chargers. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, the the Giants game, uh, again, it was kind of a funny game. A lot of people were expecting a lot of offensive fireworks from both teams. Both quarterbacks are going into the game, playing really well. I mean, of course, Saquon Barkley's been having a good year. Kenneth Walker, um, 
<laughs> since he took over the the starting job has, has been playing really well. So a lot of people are expecting just a lot of fireworks. Um, going into the game, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf were both de- game time decisions, which the fact that DK was a game time decision after uh, what, what happened last week and uh, it was his patellar tendon that was injured uh, was shocking. Tyler popping up as a game time decision was also shocking, but both guys played and they both seemed to be well. They came out of the game with, uh, you know, more or less, I think, you know, no injuries, no, no, no worse for wear. Um, but no, this, this game started out as a, as a defensive battle. Um, I think Seattle, Seattle went, in, went into the game with something like eight, three and outs, all season and i think they forced three three and outs on on the giants first three drives or something like that like it was like it it was uh yeah it it they i don't know the the seahawks defense man out all of a sudden has just like woken up i don't know if like chemistry was a, was the a problem or just learning the new three, four scheme and how to, how it all works or what it is. But see us in the last three weeks have gone from like the worst defense to one of the best defenses in the entire league based on fancy, fancy, fancy stats. Um, losing Jamal Adams, of course, affected things as well. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I there were, there were no were really getting after the quarterback. Was what's that? Was it? I I'm trying to remember in my like blur, like you said, it was, it wasn't my team. So I wasn't really like paying overly attention. I thought they got to yeah. Daniel Jones a lot. Five times, five sacks, five times. Wow. Five times. That's five impressive. Times. Yeah. Eugenia Nuosu had two Puna Ford had one. Cody Barton had one and boy, Mafe had one. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. They, and, and like they were putting pressure on him all day. Um, I, I don't know if you saw my tweet after the game, but the unsung hero of the game, in my opinion, was Bruce Irvin um oh, that really? guy was you know talking about a guy playing with his hair on fire bruce Irvin was shot out of a cannon every time he was on the field um he had he had one play he w- got in the backfield so quick it was a running play it was supposed to be a, a, a counter and he got in the backfield so quick that as soon as daniel jones pa- handed the ball off to saquon bruce Irvin literally just like pushed daniel jones and Daniel Jones tripped Saquon. <laughs> like he tackled two guys at once. That's like, wild. He was, yeah, Bruce Irvin was phenomenal uh, this Sunday. Which I mean, as a situational guy, um, that's exactly what we need when you're on when you're on the field uh, for you know so few snaps, uh, make an impact, and and that's what Bruce Irvin absolutely did. Uh, neither team scored any points in the first quarter. First time all season, the Seahawks have been shut out in the first quarter. Um, their first points came uh, in the second quarter on a 16 play drive that led to a touchdown to DK Metcalf. The thing that impressed me the most about that, uh, that touchdown drive is the Seahawks went for it on fourth down twice. Really? Which is uh, I mean, for anyone that's watched Seahawks football for the last 10 years, Pete Carroll does not go for it on fourth down. And he did it twice on the same drive um, within like plays of each other. Like the Seahawks got the first down uh, on the, on the first fourth down that they went for, they got it, which was a super, super smart play. They put Tyler Lockett in the backfield beside Geno Smith and they ran him out of the backfield. And instead of like, 
putting a little chip block on the edge rusher. He just ran right by him. Gino floated the ball over his head, and Tyler Lockett was wide open for an easy first down. Um, the the next first down was like literally three plays later. Um, it was I think a fourth and two, and everyone was expecting okay they're they're going to run it this time. They they passed it last time. They're going to run it this time, and it was one of those like RP, It was an RPO where Gino went to hand it off to Kenneth Walker. It wasn't there. And he did the old Patrick Mahomes flip to Will Disley nice. for the first first down. My, my boy, Uncle Will, uh, for the first down. <laughs> and then uh, and then he uh, found DK Metcalf in the back of the end zone all by himself, no defender within five yards for an easy touchdown to open the game. Um, Seahawks defense was, was dominating. Uh, they, they were doing really well. Um, the giant special teams managed to pin the Seahawks deep in their own, uh, territory on a, on a punt. Uh, I think first play after that punt, uh, was a screen pass to Tyler Lockett or a short out to Tyler Lockett. He unfortunately fumbled the ball, put the giants in the red zone, tie game seven, seven, but they went back and forth a couple more times. Um, I think it was like, I want to say 10, 10 at the half. Maybe I, I, I can't remember 10, seven, 10, 10, something like that. But, um, again, defensively, uh, the Seahawks were, were playing phenomenal. Mike Jackson, um, was a absolute thriller. See what I did there. Uh, yeah, you call on, him Mike on, Jackson. That's so weird. Yeah. On D well, he is, it is Mike Jackson. Um, yeah. he was, a he, he was awesome on defense. He had, he had seven tackles. Um, the giants really seemed to be wanting to attack his side of the field. They were avoiding Tariq Woolen, um, big time avoiding Tariq Woolen and, and attacking Mike Jackson. It's like the old, uh, Richard Sherman days when, when teams used to attack Byron Maxwell or Brandon Browner or whoever it was on the other side of the field, opposite of Richard Sherman, uh, which is pretty cool to see for a rookie getting that kind of respect already. Um, but yeah, Mike Jackson again, great defensive game. I mean, the the Seahawks released Sidney Jones today uh, because that. of how well Mike Jackson's been playing, and Trey Brown's about to get activated off a of pup. So, I mean, Mike Jackson, Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant, and, and Trey Brown. Um, that's that's a pretty impressive young uh, DB core. So, n- no complaints there. Uh, lots of roster control and uh, guys on on uh, inexpensive rookie contracts still for a number of years. Um, like what what a compliment to those guys! Hey, like there there can be nothing better as a young, especially DB. Like you know, DBs have to have that swagger, that kind of like attitude, that you know, extreme confidence. And when your GM is willing to waive, you know, uh, a useful veteran that knows the system really well in favor of first and second year players um, because of how well they are producing. That says a ton about those guys. So good for them. Yeah. And then uh, I don't, I don't don't know if you were still watching or not when Tyler Lockett wide open heading, heading into the end zone, Geno Smith makes a beautiful throw and it, Bounces off Lockett's face mask and he drops it. No, I didn't. I did not see that. <laughs> so uncharacteristic oh. for Tyler Lockett. I don't know if that guy's like. I don't know if I've ever seen him drop a pass before, especially one that easy. Um, 
he was going to just waltz right in for an easy touchdown. Uh, and, and you could see like it was third down. The Seahawks had, had to settle for a field goal to take the lead 13, 10. Um, and Lockett was just like beside himself. And you can see he was on the bench head down and here comes Pete Carroll runs over, puts his arms around him, says something to his ear. Like, you know, we got you on the next one. Don't we got you on the next one. Next uh, offensive possession. Seahawks go out. Gino went five for five for 75 yards and a tutty to Tyler Lockett on what looked to be the exact same play, exact same route, exact same corner where he just dropped the last one. Beautiful rainbow toss, dropped it right in there. Again, waltz right into the end zone. 20, 22-10 uh, Seahawks. They didn't look back from there. Um, Seahawks special teams was, was a big difference in this game as well. Uh, they caused two fumbles on special teams this week. Uh, again, my boy, Uncle Will, uh, caused the first fumble on a punt, and I believe he recovered the second fumble. Um, so, I mean, winning that turnover battle is is what wins you games. Uh, I'm, I mean, you were saying not giving up touchdowns. That's a that's a big thing, too. The Seahawks gave up one touchdown all game, uh, and, and the only reason that happened is because of the Tyler Lockett fumble. Um, I don't think the Giants were really in, in uh, Seahawks territory much all game. Uh, Saquon Barkley only had like 53 yards rushing. Daniel Jones only had 176 yards passing. Um, no touchdowns for Jan- Daniel Jones. Wandale Robinson was basically non-existent, um, which I was watching because I, I had him on my uh, uh, DFS <laughs> uh, squad this week. And I was like, is Wandale Robinson, like, did he get hurt? Like, he's been like, I haven't even heard his name. He's been so non-existent today. Um so yeah, so Seahawks are five and three. Like I said, they're uh, first in their division. They're uh, I think one game up on the 49ers, who are uh, five hundred at four and four. Big divisional game this this upcoming week against the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona. I mean, of course, uh, last time we played the Cardinals two weeks ago, they didn't have DeAndre Hopkins, uh, so that's going to be a big test for Tariq Woolen to to um, shut down Hopkins. Uh, I'm interested to see if Pete has Woolen shadow. DeAndre and follow him around the field. That's outside of Pete's uh, normal coaching uh, scheme. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, again, season of low expectations and somehow the Seahawks are uh, blowing all expectations I had leading into this season. It, is it too early to already give Gino the comeback player of the year? Like I, I, is there another player that I mean you you'd mentioned Saquon I know like coming off a big injury he he kind of didn't look like the Saquon he's finally looking back to being like one of the premier dual threat kind of running backs but like we're talking about a guy who was a first round pick who has bounced around basically was left for dead maybe as like a a backup kind of role for the last rest of his life and now he's looking like a legitimate threat. And like, can we just give him comeback player of the year already? I, I struggle with that. Cause what did he come back from? I mean, he hasn't been no, hurt. He's been sure. He, he had, sure. He hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't been a starter, but he's been in the league. He's been, you know, he, he did get a couple starts last season as well. Um, it's, it's like when, when uh, Ryan Tannehill won comeback player of the year, a couple of years ago, when he went from Miami to Tennessee, it's like, well, but what did he come back from? Like, mm. 
he escaped Josh McDaniel's offense. Yeah. And so he wins comeback player of the year. Like, so I, I don't know, like, I'm, I mean, it would be cool to see, but uh, I, I think more importantly over comeback player of the year, we should be uh, probably giving Pete coach of the year. I mean, a lot of, I mean, when we talked in the off season, we're talking Russell Wilson trade, like this was, you know, would Pete even stay? It should have been a rebuild by every sense of the word. Um, maybe like, what about GM of the year? Like did, did John Schneider, did anybody do as good of a job in drafting? Like we might look back, you know, sometimes you look back like five, six years and you start saying like, what are the best draft classes ever? And you start comparing them. We could see this one in two or three years being like the draft class of the year. And I know you've talked about like doubling up on bookend tackles, doubling up on, you know, starting caliber corners on the outside, you know, starting running backs, all, all that jazz. It could be the one, right? And and it, it's always funny to look back at, at the Seahawks 2012 draft because that was the draft. They got Bobby Wagner, they got Bruce Irvin, they got Russell Wilson, um, and I, th- I think they got an F draft grade really? for, for for that draft. And so it's always funny to look back at that draft and be like, whoops. Guess draft classes don't mean anything. Well, that's grade, what's always sorry. so funny about these dra- draft, you know, experts or whatever that that you know put grades on on these drafts like you don't know what a draft is out of the gates. Like, I mean, it takes some time to learn, learn what you have. And I mean, at least let them play some, play a game. Right. And everyone always, you know, says that that draft class from 10 years ago is the best Seahawks draft class of all time, which I mean, arguably it is. I mean, Bobby Wagner uh, and Russell Wilson are easy, easy hall of famers. Um, But who knows, man, maybe, maybe one day this, uh, this draft class can, can rival it. So, it, it's pretty impressive to see what, what John Schneider did. And uh, it's really exciting leading into next year's draft, knowing that we have four picks in the first two rounds uh, so and, and to see, to see what they can do with that. Right. Yeah. If yeah, they, if they I mean, can put together another draft next spring, like they did this year, man, watch out. Yeah. I mean, what a fun way to rebuild just by trading like your, you know, franchise face of the franchise quarterback. And in, you know, two short years, you could be back to relevance of like legitimately putting a Super Bowl contender together. Cause you got all these cheap contracts. You can start adding like some big free agents, maybe make some trade deadline deals in your favor. And voila, you've got a, a team that nobody expects to win is going to be winning. I was in the bigger question for Gino. Isn't, is he comeback player of the year? It's, do the Seahawks extend him? Yeah, it's going to be a point of conversation because he's it has he's, to be. He's played himself into the conversation, and and good absolutely. For him. Yeah, he's earned a he's earned a contract at least another two three year extension, whatever it may be. Maybe a three year extension with a, with an out after two years or whatever it may be. Yeah, um, he's earned that right. Um, right. Which I mean. Again, it, it's it's almost a, it, it's a good position to be in because now you don't have to panic, you don't have to find that quarterback of the future, and now all of a sudden you have these all this draft capital heading into next year's draft, and you use one of those first round draft picks to draft a premier edge rusher, yeah, or a premier linebacker, or 
whatever it may be, right? Maybe a, a I, I don't know what, 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 like so many options. Yeah. Um, you know, you you trade back, you gain more draft capital. You you maybe, you know, trade back and get first round picks for for next year for twenty twenty four, and and that's when you start looking at your quarterback for for the future. I don't know. There, I mean, Gino's Gino's definitely, um, you know, giving the Seahawks a, a lot of options right now. Definitely. Uh, we almost made an hour, Chris. We are. We did podcasting experts um we're gonna skip our skies the falling segment this week because like we said we've already done one podcast this is our second one of the night sleepy chris is ready to go to sleep and so is steep sleepy steve um yep early tomorrow yeah to do some swollen uh as always <laughs> thanks for joining us here on the ball hawks podcast on the dean Bledell network christopher as always i give you the last words yeah, again, uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Ballhawks Podcast. Again, uh, go subscribe to the podcast over on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Please subscribe. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review as well. Um, we, we'd love to re- read the reviews, especially. Um, they they t- usually make us crack up, especially when people tell us how bad of a teacher Steve is. <laughs> um, give us a follow over on Twitter at Ballhawks underscore pod. Follow, follow my guy Steve at SS Fisher87. You can see mine on the screen there at Phillips Chris12. And as always, guys, go Hawks. Peace. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.